Good afternoon. It is time once again for one of Bill Allen's Facebook studies coming live to you. If you're watching it at 3 p.m. Uh, Central Time on a Tuesday afternoon, January the 30th, then you're watching live on my Facebook page. If you're watching a little bit later on one of our Facebook pages, either mine or our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page, West Irwin Live Facebook page, where you can see our Sunday morning worship assemblies at 10 a.m. or on our website at westerwin.com, that's Irwin spelled E-R-W-I-N.com. We have our Connect tab that you click over at the top and then click on the live streaming page and go down to where it says Video Archives and click on that and you got lots of previous sermons and Facebook studies and all kinds of things all over our website. So it's good to be with you this afternoon. A shout out to my dear sister and friend, Tia Clark. Nice to see you. I enjoyed being with our North Tenaha brothers and sisters this past Thursday. They uh, were hosts of the uh, Texas State Lectureship Series last week and asked me. I was very honored to speak out there on uh, Thursday afternoon and uh, their studies centered around the book of Nehemiah and that was a great great study kind of makes me want to preach a sermon series on Nehemiah sometime soon but uh, it was wonderful to be with our wonderful wonderful church friends and family there uh, they partner with us in our ministry and share with our caring kitchen and our benevolence program uh, that ministers to folks all over town but especially here in the downtown area and we are very very grateful for the great relationship and the great faithfulness that we have uh, with that church there uh, we continue these studies and uh, know cindy and eric mosley are uh, some of the ones that are uh, viewing these most every time i talked to a few of our members at our worship assembly this past sunday and it's always encouraging to me uh, to hear from some of our folks that watch it, even though they never say hello. I love the, the hellos and the shout outs and that's awesome as Tia just shared. But I also appreciate all of those who watch or listen a little bit later and appreciate all of the encouragement. It's just amazing that God uses the technology that we have today to spread his word. And I'm honored and very humbled uh, to be a small part of that. Uh, we are looking at uh, the F. Lagarde Smith edited the Daily Bible in chronological order this year, which means we're coming up on the end of February, uh, and that, uh, I'm sorry, on the end of January, the beginning of February, which means we have finished the book of Genesis, looked at creation, looked at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and saw uh, Joseph and his travails as the uh, the children of Israel landed in Egypt, and now we're going through uh, the book of Exodus. And that will lead us through the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that are called the Pentateuch. Obviously, uh, that first five uh, there is significant in that name, the five books of the law. And, uh, and so it's a great thing as we look back on where we've been, Abraham lived somewhere maybe around uh, 2000 BC. Moses comes along around 1500 BC. If you know me, you know that I like, I don't worry about specific exact dates, so those aren't exact. Uh, King David lived somewhere around 1000, 1100 BC, somewhere in there. Uh, and, uh, and then the exile uh, happens when the uh, city of Jerusalem is overthrown in 586 BC. Uh, and then they return, begin to return 
uh, around uh, 70 years or so later, as uh, Jeremiah prophesied from the time the uh, exile first began, around 605 BC, and then uh, they're able to rebuild the walls under Nehemiah, rebuild the temple under Zerubbabel, who had royal blood in him, uh, an ancestor of King David. And, um, and then um, the exiles uh, continued to struggle. The great stories of Ruth and Esther and Ezra restoring the law. And then finally, uh, the time is right for uh, John the Baptist and ultimately Jesus to come on the scene. But that's way ahead. We're a long way from that. That's months away. But uh, we are getting close to getting into the law. You've been reading over the past uh, several days about uh, Moses' standoff with Pharaoh and uh, also about their deliverance and then being in the uh, beginning that trek uh, to Mount Sinai, hearing some uh, instructions about priests and the tabernacle that they would build which would be a portable temple. It would be something that they would use as they traveled and they ended up being in the wilderness for 40 years. And there's a reason why it's 40 years and it has a significance to the number 40. And uh, we'll, and that's not related to Noah and the flood, although that is a coincidence, uh, not related to the three sections of Moses' life, 40 years raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 40 years uh, as he, uh, was in the wilderness of Midian uh, after running for his life from Pharaoh. And then 40 years that we're just beginning the last third of Moses' life uh, leading the people of Israel ultimately to uh, Mount Sinai and through the wilderness and then to the banks of the Jordan River. Not getting to cross it, but getting them there. And that's a very significant thing. Another very significant thing is the Passover. Where does that all fit in? Well, we've been reading a little bit about that. We've been reading about the, uh, the conflict that Moses had with his people when he came back and challenged Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh immediately, instead of letting them go and worship their God, as Moses asked, uh, he makes their burden greater. And the people are upset at Moses, but Moses says, God's got this. Uh, he learned a lot in those 40 years in the wilderness, and he has seen a lot. Uh, when he stood before God at the burning bush. And now he has the courage to be God's spokesman and the leader of God's people. And so he challenges uh, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh will not do it. God told him that would happen, and so God prepared him for that. And that's where we find uh, the ten plagues. You've got uh, Exodus chapters 5 through 15. And uh, the first one, turning water to blood, Moses touches his staff to the Nile River and it turns to blood. And then frogs and gnats and flies, if you're thinking how annoying those are when you have to deal with them, just a few at a time or perhaps even just one at a time, uh, consider the uh, people of Egypt that had that uh, forced on them because of their leader Pharaoh's obstinance, even though later on his, his wise men would tell him, look, we, we can't do this. At first, they repeated Moses' tricks, so to speak, as they put it. But then they realized, no, this is, this is not sleight of hand. This is the real deal. And this is a real God that Moses is representing. And I think you need to give them what they want. But Pharaoh wouldn't budge for a while. And so then comes the death of the livestock boils, uh, hail. Those of us who are from North Texas area, we lived in Arlington 
for 20 years and hail was a very real thing. I mean, we saw uh, people's homes get completely torn up because of, of hail, uh, hail the size of softballs. Uh, and it was, um, it was quite a, an incredible thing. And so we can just imagine what that was like for Egypt. Uh, when God sent hail upon them. Then locusts, uh, the plague of darkness. Uh, that's a scary thing um, where you don't have any sunlight. And then finally, the death of the firstborn. And that's where we're introduced to the Passover. Um, God prepares uh, Moses for this. Moses stands before Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh says, after the ninth plague of darkness, uh, and, and Moses restores it, and Moses comes back to Pharaoh, and, and he says, no, I'm not going to let you go. And, and Pharaoh says, then you will not stand before me again, or you will die. And Moses says, well, you're right about one thing. I will not stand before you again. And that's when God ushers in the 10th plague, uh, the death of the firstborn from the house of Pharaoh all the way down uh, to the poorest pauper in Egypt. The only ones who were spared were the Israelites who were there in the land of Goshen, as they had been since the time of Joseph. And uh, God told Moses, okay, this is going to be a special day. This will now become the first day of your year. And this is going to be the first month. And what you will do is you will kill a lamb and you will uh, spread its blood on the doorposts of around the house. So up and down and then across at the top. And uh, the death angel will come and will, there will not be a house left untouched except for those who have that sign on the door. And, uh, and in that way, God will pass over that house and not bring death to it. And that was a long night of shrieking cries and hurt and pain. And, uh, and finally, Pharaoh told Moses, okay, get out of here. Take your people, take everything, and get out. And, uh, and, and the Egyptians were ready for them to leave, so much so that God, uh, God's word says that the Israelites were uh, able to uh, uh, have a lot of the treasures of Egypt because the people were willing to give them and wanted them to leave so desperately. And so, um, and so they do. But then Pharaoh has a change of heart and he sends his army uh, after Moses, and uh, we find them there at the uh, at the Jordan River, and ahead is the river, behind is, are the rushing Egyptians, and so God provides that uh, cloud of storm that separates them and protects them for now, and at this time the people, of course, begin their grumbling, which will be consistent for the next forty years, and and they tell Moses, hey, we should go back, we should go back to Pharaoh, let's go back. And Moses, and this is all in Exodus chapter 14, Moses says, no, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You remember Charlton Heston standing up and saying that uh, to the Israelites in the great Cecil B. DeMille's version of the Ten Commandments. Uh, and, and yet God has something else in mind. As great a faith as Moses had in telling them to stand still, that was not what God wanted. God said, uh, tell my people to move forward. In Exodus 14 and so again Moses raises his staff and the, the Red Sea parts and the children of Israel are able to go across on dry land and all of their belongings all of their livestock everything and uh, and then when they reach the other side and Pharaoh's armies 
are called to go into that uh, Red Sea bed, uh, God brings the waters back together and uh, a lot of the Egyptian army is killed and Pharaoh goes back in shame. It's an incredible, incredible thing, that story of the passing through uh, of the Red Sea. Um, I love uh, Ellie Holcomb's uh, song, The Red Sea Road, that God provides that option for us uh, when, when we need it. Um, others like Lauren Daigle and others say he doesn't always part the sea. Um, he doesn't always calm the storm, but he's right there with us. And we just have to continue to look to him and to trust him. And that's exactly right. That's what the Israelites had to do when they walked into that riverbed, into that seabed. And that's what they had to do uh, as they learned through those decades in um, the wilderness. One of the things about the Passover is that it's the predecessor to the Lord's Supper. Uh, in the church, since the days of the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, and after his um, death, burial, and resurrection, less than two months later, after Passover, was the, um, was the feast of the Pentecost, and that's when the church began. God sent his spirit in Acts 2, and 3,000 people were baptized that day in the name of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, as Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47 tell us. Um, but before that time, Jesus, while he was still alive, but hours away from his death, met with his closest disciples, his 12 apostles, and had and celebrated Passover with them. And it's during that Passover feast that Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, uh, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took one of the cups. There were four cups during the Passover feast. That's an interesting study. Luke mentions two of them, actually. You can get caught off guard if you're leading a communion meditation and you're using Luke's version and his description because it's, it doesn't start out with the bread. It starts out with a cup and then the bread, and then another cup. And there were actually four times, four cups of special blessing where they took the wine during the Passover feast. And that's what Jesus was celebrating with his disciples and observing with his disciples shortly before he died. That's not what the Lord's Supper is. You know, the Sabbath, we've, we talk about the Sabbath, and we talk about the Passover. The Sabbath, of course, is the seventh day. The church meets on the first day, the day that Jesus was raised. It's called in the New Testament, the Lord's Day. And even our calendars mark it as the first day of the week, and that's Sunday. But for the Jews, they observed uh, the Sabbath. They met on the seventh day. It was a very special day for them. It was one of their feast days that happened every week in commemoration of God resting on the seventh day after creation after he created the heaven and the earth in six days. And then later on, it would become uh, the law that they were to uh, rest and worship on the Sabbath. Under the New Testament, we do the same thing, uh, worship and rest perhaps uh, on the first day of the week, celebrating the resurrection of the Lord. And in the same way, there are some Passover elements in the Lord's Supper, Jesus was observing the Passover. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're mindful of the first century church that did that uh, to remember Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, uh, to remember his promised return, and to consider each other 
and how uh, we're sharing this meal together. And so there's a, a wonderful book on uh, an article for, on um, uh, on the Passover, and it's the the elements that we see in the Passover that now we have that can help us as we partake of the Lord's Supper each Sunday. Um, Randy Chestnut wrote that article, and and he talks about four different things. Number one is look up. We look up to God. The Jews looked up to God and uh, His salvation history. Remember, the Passover is when the nation of Israel really came into existence. I mean, they were called the children of Israel after Abraham's grandson, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel <clears throat> after he wrestled and struggled with God. We, you remember that story we read about in Genesis. Uh, but now when Moses secures their uh, freedom uh, from uh, Pharaoh and Egypt and they they, uh, they observe the Passover when uh, the Egyptian firstborn are killed. They go through the Red Sea, and they are now for the first time a free people. And so they remember that Passover, and they remember that salvation history. For us, as we look up during the Lord's Supper, we go one better, and we remember uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what secures our salvation today. So we look up. We also look back. And Jesus said uh, that we're to remember these things. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says uh, we are to do this in memory and remembrance of Jesus. And, and that's what we're called to do. And that's a special word, anamnesis, which means more than just a recollection, but it's a re-experiencing. In the Passover, they they didn't just say, my ancestors were delivered. They say, I was a wandering Aramean, a wandering Syrian. I was a person with no home, and then God delivered me and my people. Well, that's what we do when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's a very dynamic remembering of the death, burial, and resurrection uh, of Christ. Uh, so we look up and we look back to that salvation event for us. And number three is we look around. For the Jews observing the Passover, they did it as a family. They did it as families together. They considered each other, and they gathered around the table, and they had the special meal, and they remembered uh, the salvation history of God, but they did that together. And in the same way, God calls us to look around. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11 is that great chapter where Paul writes to the Corinthians, and included in that chapter is a, a, a passage that speaks about the Lord's Supper. It's one of the most important teachings we have. And the reason it's there is because, like a lot of other things, they had it wrong. They weren't waiting for one another. They weren't considering each other. Some were eating everything first because it was in the context of a meal uh, for a good while, perhaps a couple of hundred years in the, in the beginning of the church. But then you had some people who couldn't get there, and by the time they got there, the food was gone. Everything was gone. And Paul says, look, if that's your attitude, not being considerate of one another, then it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. That is a huge, huge accusation. But it, it is a tribute to the horizontal aspect of the Lord's Supper. We get the vertical aspect, you know, considering God and considering the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the Son of God. But there's also that horizontal aspect, that aspect where we're taking this meal together. Now, I get it. We, since the pandemic especially, but even before then, we had people who could not make it to the worship assembly uh, in person. 
And so sometimes we would take communion to them. Now we have the little uh, uh, communion sets that have the bread and the juice in it together in a little cup. And and they can partake of it at home just as they're watching online. I was texting with one of my members, one of our members here who has not been able to attend because of illness for a long time. And they said, we're with you every Sunday. And that's a glorious thing. If you can be with us in person, that's what you should do. That's what you should do. Why? Because that horizontal aspect is so important. It was important in the Passover as they gathered around the table. It's important in the church as we gather around the table and observe the Lord's Supper together and consider each other. I realize some people can't be there and that's okay. I'm so thankful for technology like this that allows us to study the Bible together and even worship together even though we're not in the same under the same roof. That's such a great blessing. But we also know that it could never take the place of that hug in person, that handshake, those eyes that communicate, I need prayer and the eyes that respond with, I'm praying for you. Those kinds of things are so vital and so important. We look up to God and his salvation history. We look back and consider the great sacrifice that was made for us uh, when Jesus died on the cross and the power of that empty tomb and his resurrection. We look around as we consider each other. And then the fourth aspect that we have in the Lord's Supper that we also that was also for the Jews in the Passover is we look ahead. For them, the fact that God saved them in the past that we've read about uh, in the time of Moses and with the plagues and the passing through the Red Sea, uh, ultimately getting to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, um, God saved them and that caused them to believe as they looked ahead that God would continue to deliver them and to save them and that's the same for us. As we look up and we look back and we look around, we realize that when we look ahead and we see a sometimes a precarious future as we see today, we know that God's got this. We know that nothing that happens surprises him. And we know that God will be with us however that works out, whatever happens. And we pray that it will be a blessing and we pray that God will remember us and be merciful to us as we look ahead, but we know specifically that, uh, that God will uh, deliver. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, there's a term that uh, Keith Watkins had in talking about the Lord's Supper as it relates to the Passover, and he calls it contemplative joy. When we think about the Lord's Supper, yes, it's a very reverent time, but it's also a very joyful time. It's a time when the children of Israel observing the Passover celebrated their deliverance. And for Christians, it's a time when we celebrate our deliverance through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his promised return as we look ahead to the time when he will come and we will be with him forever. Well, I love that term, contemplative joy. It's not being irreverent. Uh, it, but it is also uh, not being so sad and serious that you don't recognize the presence of God among us and how he has delivered us and how he has brought us through and how he will always bring us through whatever we face. Whatever you're facing today, the story of the Passover is the story of a powerful, powerful God that will be there for you. The Lord's Supper helps us to remember that even the worst of sinners, as Paul described himself, 
can be saved by the blood of Christ that was shed on that cross at Golgotha, uh, the Greek term for the Latin Calvary, and how that tomb today is empty, and how one day our tombs will be empty too, wherever our remains are spread. Um, and so I want us to end today with this great passage from the Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is that honor roll of faith. And yes, not just Moses, but the children of Israel are found in here because of this time that we have been reading about. And in the next week or so on Thursday, we're going to take a look at that trip to Mount Sinai and, um, and the law that God gave them. As we begin, we won't really delve into the law the way Lagarde Smith does this. Is He uh, goes through all of this time, and then he rec we recount the law a little bit later in February, and it takes a few weeks to read through it, but that's down the line. Listen to these words from Hebrews 11 uh, that summarize the great faith that Moses and the people of his day experienced when God brought them out of Egyptian bondage. Hebrews 11, verse 23, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I love that statement. Why was Moses able to do this? Because he saw him who was invisible. Perhaps a, a acknowledgement of Moses and what he saw at the burning bush, perhaps later when God passes by the, and he sees the back of God from that cleft in the rock. That, and you'll read that story a little bit later on in Exodus. Verse 28, by faith, uh, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. You can't tell me that faith is um, only found in the New Testament. Before that time, it was law. That's not true. By faith, people of old did all of these wonderful, wonderful things. Why? Like Moses, they were looking with the eyes of faith and seeing the one who is invisible, the one who is the king of kings, the one who is on the throne, as Isaiah actually saw in his vision. Um, the one who is the true God, creator, sustainer, and as Moses and the children of Israel found, deliverer. And he is our deliverer today as well. I look forward to being with you again this coming Thursday. God bless.